the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we head into hour three, it's your hour, 602-508-0960. What do I mean when I say it's your hour? Because they're all your hours. All of this is for you. It's like when Groucho Marx was found dancing with another woman by his wife. He said, I was doing it for you. Everything about it reminded me of you. It was for you. No, all all of the show is for you. What I mean by that is no guests. It's uh, just you and me. And the audience. And uh, looks like we are uh, good. We have a bunch of calls lining up already. 602-508-0960. Let's start with Alan in Phoenix. Hello, Alan. Well, hello, Seth. How are you? It's a beautiful day. What a great day. Go outside. It's glorious. Air's clear. You can see a long way. You're totally right. Moment. I went on a run today. I hadn't run outside in a while. I usually run at the gym because the weather has been so crummy. But I, d- I ran outside today. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Three miles in the mountains every day. You just got to love it. Um, but on to the, the questions of fighting and infighting, all this nonsense in a White House. A lot of that comes from early on where they, they, they want to hire people who are all really great at what they do and not really good at being second fiddles. You know, they all want concert masters and not second chair people. And so that tends to, you know, everybody wants their space and, you know, every dog is, you know, peeing over the other dog. But in the, in this Biden White House, they're not going to have that problem because they learned in the Obama White House. They brought in Susan Rice. They brought in, you know, Valerie Jarrett still in the background. They're going to make sure that the circle is small and the, and, and, any squabble stays very quiet very quickly. They'll drown that fire in a heartbeat. They're also not that good, Alan. They're no. not that good. But you're right. It's their egos <clears throat> that make them think they are, <clears throat> right? So you right. can imagine the ego between John Kerry, who is some special envoy. <clears throat> Sorry, I, the cleaning stuff is what gets to me here sometimes. Sorry. Uh, John Kerry is a special envoy for the environment, but there's now also an office of the environment in the White House. You, you know that's going right. to be a fight. Um, John Kerry yeah, doesn't John have Kerry cabinet really status. Yeah, valid, uh, yeah. And he uh, thinks he's really brilliant. Yeah. Oh, no, he totally does. He thinks he should have been president. I'm surprised they didn't bring in Al Gore. No, but this happens, and you saw it, you know, when you have big accomplished people, right? You you think of, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, Trump, in Trump's White House, it was a little different. I mean, yes, some of these people were big and accomplished, very much so, but it was a little different. But you think back to, say, the Bush administration. I mean, you had uh, Rumsfeld and Powell. I mean, you, you just know that's going to – that's not going to end well, Right. Yeah, they, you bring it when you bring in two big headbutters, they're going to butt heads, yeah. especially at the cabinet level. Right. You know, you know, like you bring in guys who are CEOs and all these other guys that again love being the first top dog and don't understand that there's only one top dog. That's right. It, it, That's right. This is in large part what Tevi's book is about. My fascination with it is really the Reagan administration, because not only did it have um, a lot of you know top dogs in there. But like the Trump administration in some respects, 
there was a division as to who was Fort Reagan and who wasn't, if you know what I mean. Who was Fort Trump and oh, who wasn't? Oh, absolutely, because the establishment people yep. didn't like Reagan. Right, they, they, right. They so you make Jim Baker your chief of staff, you're going to have problems with Bill Bennett at yes. education. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, you are. And that's the problem. They they bring they, – Trump listened to Ryan's previous right. and brought in all these people who right. he couldn't trust, mm-hmm. who he didn't know. Just because he didn't know the ways of Washington, which was a mistake, because he did, he should have kept his circle a lot smaller and fired everybody right away. But, yep. um, it's the same thing. They hated Reagan. Yep. Uh, Reagan's Reagan's biggest. They thought they were biding kept... time until they could get Bush in there, which they did. Right. Which which that was Reagan's fault too. Reagan well, agreed. Hunted... Agreed. He should have pointed H W. His right greatest away. fault. It was his who... greatest fault yeah. was not solidifying the yeah. legacy. Yep. Right. Yeah, because and that's the problem with all these guys. You know, he could have given us Kemp. He could have given us somebody. That younger. was the he point. That was they said, come years. back from Detroit with Kemp. He came back with Bush. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and 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 then you bring this. And Bush is the CIA mold dude right. guy. He right. Is- yeah, 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 yeah. Alan, we gotta let you go there, buddy. Um, we're on the same page, but gotta be careful on some of that stuff. Okay, uh, Rob. And surprise, hi, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. I I miss. Uh, whatever your previous caller was good that, that was intentional <laughs> we had to oh, okay. we, 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 we let I, it fly I, around here but there's a few things the FCC doesn't allow us to do oh okay yeah. I'm, I'm sorry no I, no I, it's all right no, it, it's it's per, you know let's just say a word about it I Alan's a great caller with great thoughts but um and so I don't it, I don't mean anything personal by it and I say mm-hmm. anything we let it rip here we don't we don't really um screen for ideology or conversational topics unless they're somewhat maybe not relevant but the fcc does still control our airwaves and there's certain uses of language just as a general instruction people have to understand yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah i guess i missed all that we're we're not msnbc (laughs) well thank god for that yeah um you know you'd mentioned uh and you actually played obama's speech way back yeah uh, earlier in the show Yeah, i should do it again well, yeah, because, I mean, the speech was great, but I wonder if there's any statistics on any improvement in uh, the fatherhood situation. Not really. Uh, it moves, the, that needle family. moves so little. That that needle yeah. moves so little. There really isn't. There really isn't. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's really sad, because I, I would think that, you know, somebody who has the bully pulpit, who's, you know, half black, could have had an influence on improving... The black family. And this was the, the great way. failure of Barack Obama. He did not do that. Exactly. He had the well, power exactly. to do it and did not. Yeah. And I um, I also have to mention, you know, I think you were right on about Colin Powell. I, uh, I never knew until I got to D.C. how much of a political animal yes. uh, a lot of these people have to be yeah. to get to where they are. Yeah. Um, and and I look back to when he became chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I think it was eighty nine or so. I think it might have been um, under Reagan, actually. So maybe yeah, I, maybe well, a little before it, that. I think. Yeah, no, it it could be, but I mean, I I just look to now when you know SecDef Austin, uh, they made a big deal about his color, but I I don't know, and maybe they did. I just can't remember if they made a big deal out of Colin Powell's uh, color. No, 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 they really didn't. And they didn't make a big deal out of Condoleezza Rice, who was, I think, you know, um, the first black national. Well, Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice both were the first black national security advisors. 
and the first black secretaries of state. No, of course not. Of course not. Yeah, and 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 I just I just wonder about all that because it all just kind of boils down to this whole, you know, we're we're being bombarded by this uh, overemphasis, uh, an overload of, of race issues. Yes, as if you know, as if Martin Luther King's message never existed. Right. And and I wonder why it's being pushed so hard. You know, do they really, and I think I know the answer, but do they really want to divide us by this? Do they want to build some, you know, minority, I don't know, self-esteem? Do they want to uh, get... get I don't, you know, it's a great question, though. I don't know the answer. Yeah. I don't know what the goal is. You know, yeah. Larry Elder talks about the changing goalposts. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't either, Seth, and and that's what's so frustrating. I mean, you know, they talk about uh, racial. I think it's about destroying the system. I think that. Well, really... I, I think you're right. You know, and and again, this sort of ties into that. Uh, you know, racialism in the name of equity, uh, which is a word that we've discussed or you've discussed very well over the last couple of days. Um, and it also dies. Uh, it also ties in really well about uh, when we talk about the BLM movement. Um, and the fact that they have, from their inception, done absolutely nothing to mitigate or even address any black-on-black It's violence. a great point. And, Aside from yeah. changing our curricula, what have they accomplished? Absolutely nothing. And, and again, I mean, I, I talk about, you know, unif- well, they've talked about unifying, but um, there really is nothing unifying about this overemphasis on race and yeah, no, you cannot unify things. when you divide by race. You just can't. Well, that's right. Which is that's why right. <clears throat> I thought that tweet from Titania McGrath was so poignant. You know, she was what she saw this announcement from the Brentwood School District. Brentwood is, you know, like Beverly Hills Light in the Los Angeles oh, area. I, yeah, I, right. And it said, parent, student, teacher conferences choose which one: black parents and black teachers, white parents and white teachers, and. Titania McGrath basically said, now do cafeterias, water fountains, and lunch counters. Rob, you're welcome to stay and uh, and finish any point you had on the other side of this break if you do have any. I'm happy to to hear you out. And then I want to say something about glass ceilings and Republicans as well. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. One of the reasons I like this song, I love everything Reba McIntyre does. Of course, I saw her in concert once. I remember her doing this song, and when she uses that lyric, just too hard-headed, I remember she smacked her head with her hand. It was kind of funny. I don't know if she still does that in her concerts and how, <clears throat> or how many times people do that in a show. But anyway, Robin, surprise, thanks for staying with us. I, I gather you had a little more in the tank. Well, just just a bit, but yeah, I'm a... You a I Reba like, McIntyre uh, fan? I like Reba yeah. a lot. Um, I don't listen to that music much but um going back to brentwood wasn't that where uh oj and yep. nicole yep. murder took yep. place yep that was yeah brentwood. because my, yep. my oldest daughter just lived a couple blocks away from where they caught whitey bulger in an apartment in santa was that monica. where whitey bulger was found was in brentwood oh yeah oh i didn't in realize Sa- that no in santa monica yeah and then she drove around and showed me the house where uh, oj and nicole uh, lived and where all the bad stuff happened. Huh. Now, Ty- Titania McGrath, wasn't she, uh, from what I remember, uh, kind of a sarcastic... It, yeah, well, it's a fictional person. Um, oh, it is? A, okay. Yeah, it's a fictional yeah. person on Twitter 
uh, run by a comedian out of Ireland whose name I'm blanking on. I mean, it's known, but it's yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so I I, I was thinking, and Mrs. Rob and I were talking about this. What happens in this discussion in Brentwood where? You have a mixed race family. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, great where point. Do they, great point. Where do they draw the line? Yeah, great point. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Do you mm-hmm. go to both? Do you get to exactly. choose? And if you're, I don't know. Do they make fun of you if you uh, <laughs> if you're white and, and married to a black person, and you go to the white one or the black one? Exactly. Yeah, and, no, it's a again, great that, point. That, 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 you know, that's another great point about the categorization. We're not that – This that's not America. We we don't think of ourselves like that because we don't act that way. Yeah. No, nor should we. Nor should and, we, And yeah. that's the thing. I and mean, they're trying to know, put us back in these strict categories that just are not part of American life. Yeah, it's, and it's not unifying, and that was – wasn't that uh, uh, Joe's uh, big goal to unify everybody? Yeah. And yet every action they took, I think there was a town hall article earlier today about, you know, everything that they talk about, despite the, their call for unity, has been historically to uh, disunify people and divide and conquer. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just tragic. Yeah. So if you're you know? if you're if you're Kamala Harris's parents or Barack Obama's parents, you wouldn't know what to do if, at parent teacher night in Brentwood. Well, exactly, and and that's really the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, so when, when people start dividing themselves by color, by race, and all the other things that they divide themselves by, weren't we supposed to be more, you know, pluribus unum? Well, like, we were supposed to be one. celebrating the fact that we went from something like twenty percent of Americans surveyed by Gallup in nineteen fifty didn't believe in mixed marriages to ninety eight percent that do today. We were supposed to be proud of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and nowadays, I mean, I think it appears to be no big deal, right, to have interracial marriages, no. intercultural marriages, unless, and, unless, and okay unless, on um, what yeah, about adopting? I mean, this is what Ibrahim Kendi did too. Remember, it's the same famous Ibrahim Kendi who tweeted out about Amy Barrett's children that she was, um, she, yeah, right, that she was robbing them of their heritage and she was a colonizer by adopting a, a child from Haiti. Yeah, and, and again, I think, you know, Kendi and all these other people are just, again, uh, trying to uh, encourage division instead of unity by comments like that. And, and again, I don't think, I don't think the, uh, the new justice is trying to divide or prevent the adopted daughter from uh, understanding her heritage, probably uh, just the opposite. But I, I just find this whole and the media well who knows who knows but i i will tell you her her country isn't haiti her country is america that's right and that's right and 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 and, and most normal people would wake up every morning saying i won the lottery because i could have grown up in haiti and instead i'm growing up in washington dc yeah no kidding amen to that now and again uh you'd mentioned earlier about aoc yeah um Everything she says is not a call for unity. Um, and, and I always worry about, you know, what are these people's end game? Um, what is it that they want besides power and to dictate everybody in America to, uh, you know, our betters to uh, rule over us? And why don't we, the people, which I think Donald Trump was a champion of and tried to do for four years, 
why aren't we pushing back on all this? And why does the media continue to feed all this division instead of recognizing that we are the people that are supposed to be in charge of our government and they work for us? I don't know. I mean, their end game appears to be uh, the destruction of everything we hold dear, the Constitution, the country, unity. uh, You said it, man. Everything. Everything. Yes. A family. A two-parent family. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, everything. Yes. It's so true. Gender. The gender you're born with. Yeah. And I don't understand why more people don't see this for what it is. It's just right that. Well, so this is my big question, and this is the debate I was – debate, discussion I was having with my friend Jim, and I raised it with Tevi, is I don't know if you and I are seriously out of step with our culture or if there are more people who agree with us than the masters of the culture who are cramming it down the schools. I don't know if a parent sees this this, – this this curricula and says, oh, that looks smart. Yeah, I want I want my first grader to to fill out a coloring book on on transgenderism. That 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 would be enlightening and and and, and moving. I don't know if a yeah. parent, the typical parent, sees that and says that, or the typical parent sees that and says, are you, you know what, kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Find Good me the point. find me the next charter school I can get into, or private school yeah, or homeschooling yeah. pod. Yeah. I don't yeah, know I the think, answer to that question. I don't. Well, but it is the answer to that question which will determine the survival of this civilization, and I don't mean it any less than that. No, I agree. And I think that may be uh, one of the reasons why more uh, parents need to bring their kids into charter schools yeah, or homeschools. Sure. Because, you know, they're not being taught what they need to be taught. They need to be bringing school. them out, and at the same time, they need to be passing legislation that the dollars follow the students so that these schools are held accountable and realizing that if you are going to have empty seats and empty chairs, you aren't getting the same amount of money that you got when those chairs were full. Amen, sir. Also, uh, my final comment, um, I enjoyed Mr. Hallman's comment uh, on the uh, the Wall Street issue, the little guy, the deplatforming of the little guy, yeah. and, and Wall Street. Um, it sort of reminded me, as a fixed-income old guy, um, I, I get emails saying, you know, Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher want to get people on trips to Israel, but some of us can't really afford it because yeah. I'd love to go, but I don't have like ten to $12,000 to spare. I suspect others are in the same situation with fixed incomes, and, you know, most of us would have to stay for 10 years. It's totally unrelated, but I just... I just wish that there was a way that's on my bucket list. I hear you. I hear you. You know, and I would have gone with you if I could afford it. (laughs) We had a good time. We had a good time. Love you, Rob. We'll do other things with you. You've already proposed some good ideas that we're exploring. 602-508-0960. Be right back. It, it really was a um, monumental speech, so we'll do it. Uh, you, a bunch of you have asked for it. Uh, the speech Tevi uh, was on about, talking about, and wrote about in National Review today, Reagan's Challenger speech 35 years ago today. Think about this. This was all done in 648 words. 648 words. You know what that is? That's an op-ed in a newspaper. Go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd planned to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union. But the events of earlier today have 
led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembering. Nancy and I are pained to the core by the tragedy of the shuttle Challenger. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. Nineteen years ago, almost to the day, we lost three astronauts in a terrible accident on the ground. But we've never lost an astronaut in flight. We've never had a tragedy like this. And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for the crew of the shuttle. But they, the Challenger 7, were aware of the dangers, but overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. We mourn seven heroes. Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista Mikulov. We mourn their loss as a nation together. The families of the seven, we cannot bear as you do the full impact of this tragedy. But we feel the loss, and we're thinking about you so very much. Your loved ones were daring and brave, and they had that special grace, that special spirit that says, give me a challenge, and I'll meet it with joy. They had a hunger to explore the universe and discover its truths. They wished to serve, and they did. They served all of us. We've grown used to wonders in this century. It's hard to dazzle us. But for 25 years, the United States space program has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space, and perhaps we forget that we've only just begun. We're still pioneers. They, the members of the Challenger crew, were pioneers. And I want to say something to the schoolchildren of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. I've always had great faith in and respect for our space program, and what happened today does nothing to diminish it. We don't hide our space program. We don't keep secrets and cover things up. We do it all up front and in public. That's the way freedom is, and we wouldn't change it for a minute. We'll continue our quest in space. There will be more shuttle flights and more shuttle crews, and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. Nothing ends here. Our hopes and our journeys continue. I want to add that I wish I could talk to every man and woman who works for NASA or who worked on this mission and tell them your dedication and professionalism have moved and impressed us for decades, and we know of your anguish. We share it. There's a coincidence today. On this day, 390 years ago, the great explorer Sir Francis Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. In his lifetime, the great frontiers were the oceans and a historian later said he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. Well, today, we can say of the Challenger crew, their dedication was, like Drake's, complete. The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them, this morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth 
to touch the face of God. Thank you. Yeah, there was something special about that. You know, you listen to his speeches, everything is important in what he says, not here, but in every speech. I've studied his speeches like no one else's. Everything is important, and every time I go through them, I find something new. The phrase I guess I had elided over in the past, but had a special meaning to me today that I captured, uh, that I fixed on, the Challenger crew was pulling us into the future. And we'll continue to follow them. What a nice use of language. They were pulling us into the future and we'll continue to follow them. It's a beautiful point. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Nice piece of trivia here from a listener. Just a FYI. Why do people say just a FYI? It's FYI, not just a. We're always about information here, right? Anyway, a very nice email. John Denver wrote the song Flying For Me as a tribute to the Challenger crew. I didn't know that. We do use some John Denver around here. But, yeah, if you want, sure. I don't know the song. But good. Good good on you knowing that. Yeah, the Challenger struck a huge nerve. And I don't know if it was moment more than nerve, heart. Maybe maybe it's what I said to Tevi. We we never before had seen that live in front of us. We saw footage of JFK. It was a little covered up, and it wasn't live, and it wasn't in color based on someone else's films, a pruder, right? But we never saw that kind of thing happen in front of us. And then we got used to it, didn't we? More and more, culminating, of course, with... 9-11 and subsequent. Um, and you think, you see, we watched, we watched seven people blow up in the sky. Just even saying that is haunting. And I remember, I was in school, Bill, I don't know if you remember it. Were you old enough to remember it? But I remember we took off, I mean, we were in school, but school stopped to watch it. We were watching it happen live. And that's why Reagan was so concerned in his speech about what the school children were thinking, because he knew that so many schools had stopped to watch it, particularly because of Krista McAuliffe, a teacher, being on there, which gets me back to what I was talking about in my monologue and what we're doing in agitating and torturing our children, not by accident like that was, but deliberately. And curricula next week in too many schools, particularly the one I know of in Ames, Iowa, where in the name for some reason that I cannot fathom, Black Lives Matter curriculum, one of the principles they are going to be teaching in the Ames, Iowa Community School District is, quote, we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another and especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. No word about fathers. The point is they don't want fathers. We are committing to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Not every black person thinks that way. Here's one who doesn't. Of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we are most dependent on the family. The family is that most important foundation. 
And we are called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. They are teachers and coaches, they're mentors and they're role models. They are examples of success and the men who constantly push us towards success. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that too many fathers are also missing. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. They've abandoned their responsibilities. They're acting like boys instead of men. And the foundations of our family have suffered because of it. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all black children live in single-parent households. Half. A number that's doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teen parents because the father wasn't in the home. The foundations of our community and our country are weaker because of this. So the Black Lives Matter curriculum says, quote, we are committed to disrupting the nuclear family structure. And Barack Obama says, of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we are reminded today that family is the most important. Which way are you going to go? It does beg this question I was discussing with Rob, I was discussing with Tevi. I have an ongoing discussion with my friend Jim over. I'm encircelled by this question. And that is, how many parents of children in schools see the curriculum that they're being brought home, like this one, that says we are committed to disrupting the family, and that in affirming that Black Lives Matter, we need not qualify our position. This is a Black Lives Matter curriculum. That means we need not qualify our position. It need not be. It should not be open to discussion or debate. Or when they write, we are committed to dismantling the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts. Or when there's an educational programming with Netflix aimed at toddlers called Anti-Racist Baby that tells toddlers, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, to knock down the stack of cultural blocks and confess when being a racist. Um, how many parents look at that and say, yeah, that's smart. It's a good idea. We are a racist, a systemically racist society. It has to begin somewhere. I'm glad there's a professor from Boston University instructing us this way and that our schools are enlightened enough to finally and bravely take this on. What percentages of families see that or parents see that and say that? And what percentage of families look at it and say, this is rot. This is sheer rot. And I'm taking my kid out of that school tomorrow. And I do think it is the answer to that question that will determine the future of this society. 
The left knows it, too. Little Andy Kim there. In 1831, Alexis de Tocqueville comes to America and sees already the rot which we're trying to reinstill. When he writes in Democracy in America, men will never find inequality that is enough for them. Whatever a people's effort, it will not succeed in making conditions perfectly equal within itself, and it had the misfortune to reach this absolute and complete leveling. The inequality of intellects would still remain coming directly from God will always escape law. However democratic the social state and political constitution of a people may be, one can therefore count on the fact that each of its citizens will always perceive near to him several positions in which he is dominated, and one can foresee that he will obstinately keep looking at this side alone. When inequality is the common law of a society, the strongest inequalities do not strike the eye. When everything is nearly on a level, the least of them wound it. That is why the desire for equality always becomes more insatiable as equality grows ever greater. It's a hugely important lesson. When inequality is the common law of a society, the strongest inequalities do not strike the eye when everything is nearly on level. That is why the desire for equality always becomes more insatiable as equality is greater. We have never been more equal and in sync with our founding principles in reality in this country in America, which is why we've never heard so much about inequality and inequity. And it is a shame. Folks, thanks for giving us uh, some of your afternoon, your ear, your heart, your mind. Until tomorrow, God bless you and class dismissed.